0: So if you have the Pew Bibles, please turn to page 144. And like Santa said, we're going to be reading Psalm 139. I'm going to be reading the entire Psalm, but focusing especially on verses 1 through 12 of the Psalm. Okay, please stand. This is the word of God. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay. You can be seated. Amen. If I were to say to you, everybody wants to feel that they are known, that they have someone who knows everything about them, that they have someone who loves them, I think most of us would agree that this is a pretty true statement. I mean, who doesn't want love and acceptance from other people? Do so we actually know somebody who, want, who really, truly wants nothing to do with anybody else? As Ewan McGregor once said in a movie, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. That's why when we hear stories of people who go off by themselves to live in the mountains, in a cave, or off to live in amongst the forest with the animals because they like animals better than they like people, nine times out of ten, we think they're weird. <laughs> no matter how we might be bothered or even hurt by others, we have a desire hardwired into us to be around people, to be known and loved by them, and to know and love them in return. But on the other hand, isn't the idea of being known by somebody else kind of scary? We want to be known, yes, but we want to be known on our terms. We want to be able to decide how to reveal ourselves to other people, who to reveal ourselves to only revealing what people might appreciate or like about us. If people really knew what we were like, they probably want nothing to do with us. If we are really honest, we want to keep part of our life secret, and the idea of having somebody open up that door in our hearts and rummage around in the closet to see what we're keeping hidden. It's terrifying. It's kind of like trying to hide gifts at Christmas time, and then your kid comes um, from the closet telling you what they've just found that they're getting for Christmas. But rather than simply being annoying, the idea of having somebody rummage around in our hearts and seeing what's there is just scary and embarrassing. But this contrast of wanting to be known and also wanting to hide ourselves leaves us feeling kind of lonely at times. We want to be known and loved despite the crud in our hearts. But who could love us in spite of that crud? The musical band Rush sums it up nicely in one of their songs. We are secrets to each other each one's life a novel no one else has read. Even joined in bonds of love, we're linked together by such slender threads. We are planets to each other, drifting in our orbits to a brief eclipse. Each of us a world apart, alone and yet together, like two passing ships. We're often left asking ourselves if there's anybody who really knows anything about us, or cares. Now Christians might say, well, God loves you, But how real is that for us today? Can we keep secrets from God? Actually, does God even really care about us? And by that do I mean, I mean God, does God care about you, me, individuals, not just the collective? Does God see the struggles in our lives and sit in judgment of them? Does he take time to look at us and to think about us? Can we depend upon him when um, life just seems determined to kick us while we're down? Well, for King David, the writer of this Psalm and many others, the answer is an undoubtable yes, he absolutely does. There's nowhere else he can turn to and no one else he can turn to like God. David has seen much of God's character and his deeds and he knows that God indeed knows him and loves him. As we look at this Psalm today, we'll begin to understand that the people of God can take comfort and security in him. First, let's look at the searching holiness of God to begin to understand this. To do so, and give, us, give ourselves a good foundation for the rest of the sermon, we're actually going to look at the last four verses of the psalm. So let me reread those real quickly. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. At first glance, these words sound rather arrogant and cruel and condemning, don't they? Mm-hmm. Why is David so angry with these men? And why say such harsh things about them, calling for God to slay them? We must understand that David is not angry with these people because he's had a bad day at the office and these people just happen to be annoying him or some such like that. When David calls um, his enemies bloodthirsty, he's not setting up a caricature or a straw man for us to look at or not giving us informa- misinformation. He's saying these things about them because they're true. We don't know the exact reasons why David wrote this psalm or who he's talking about specifically, but what is clear is that these are bad men. They have no love for God. They have no love for people. David tells us in verse 20, they speak of you, that is God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Their offense is not with David especially, but with God. They don't like him. Actually, they hate him. They're rebels against God and his claim over the the world and they are proud of this fact. When they speak of God, their creator, mind you, they couldn't say a nice thing about him if they tried. In all other ways, these could be perfectly nice people, people you might meet at the coffee shop, people that you might just see walking down the streets. But the minute the conversation turns to God himself, they go sour and bitter. And their hatred for God overflows into how they interact with other people, especially God's followers. If you're a follower of God like David, then, they'll say something, then they may say something like, you're either with us or you're against us, and you don't want to be against us. It might get dressed up in this modern day with, you can't say that you have the only way to truth, but they don't like God, and they don't like those who follow him. David knows that at the end of the day, he has to pick sides and he's thrown his his law in with God. If he has to choose between following God and taking eternal comfort in him or the temporary comfort of wicked men, he's going to pick God. If they are God's enemies, they're his enemies. And he knows that God will judge the wicked and the rebellious and David is happy enough to leave him to do that. But we need to be careful here. Otherwise, we might end up thinking, yes, very good, David, awesome. Glad I'm, you're good. You're standing on the high moral ground exposing evil. you sure glad I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> David rejects evil. But notice that he's also very, very concerned about the state of his own heart, not just the hearts of the people around him. He knows that it needs to be examined. Now, if I were to ask any of you here, have you ever told a lie before? Then probably everybody here would say, yes. But how quickly would you call yourself a liar? If I were to tell a lie and you caught me in it, you'd probably say, liar, almost immediately. But how quickly would you call yourself one? It's not so easy to condemn our own sin. It's even harder just to see it in the first place. But David is very aware of the sin in his life. But while it's easy for most of us to just dismiss it as, it's not so bad, or, I mean, I'm not like that guy. I'm not that bad. David isn't content to just say that. He wants God to search through him to dig through his heart to find the hidden places of his heart that David doesn't even know about find and expose any dirt he can find there. Why? David knows that his sin will keep him from a relationship with God, and the thought of that is unbearable for David. Hmm. But why does David ask God to search him? We must understand that as far as God is concerned, our best efforts and our most holy deeds aren't impressive to God. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 tells us, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. God cannot and will not accept good enough where good and evil are concerned whatever good enough happens to be. One sin is all it takes to become a sinner in God's eyes and I'll be the first to admit that I've disobeyed God's commands multiple times. But if that's the case then why does David take the time to ask God to search out offenses with him? Does he have a death wish or something? Well, this leads us on to finding out that we can take comfort in God's intimate knowledge of us. As I said when we started, we all have secret places in our hearts that we try to keep hidden, Mm -hmm. those dark places that no one is meant to know, and we're very good at keeping them hidden. But David says that God has searched him and knows him. This searching and knowing is something special and unique to God when we think of searching, we might think about looking in the closet for a coat or a jacket or something that we can't find. Or we might think about looking for a child who's gotten lost at the mall or something. When we talk about knowing people, then our knowledge is going to be limited by the amount of time we spent with them, what we've heard of them um, from ourselves or from other people, something like that. But when David speaks of God knowing him and searching him, He means that God has dug through David's heart and knows everything, literally everything, about David. David says of God in verses 2 through 4 of this psalm, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Knowing when David sits down and when he rises up means that God knows when he does both those things and everything in between. Even before David speaks a word, kind or hurtful, God knows what he is going to say and who he is going to say it to. Even David's thoughts are an open book before God. Nothing about his life is private or secret where God is concerned. No deed unseen, no thought stays secret. It's completely bare before the Lord. Now let's think for a moment about the kind of person that David was. We all know him as the killer of the evil giant Goliath, which David did in order to protect God's name, which Goliath was misusing, and also to protect the people of God from an invading army. After that he became one of the greatest and most powerful kings of God's people, the Israelites. He's also a composer of beautiful music and lyrics. This psalm was one of his personal songs and it's regarded as perhaps the best of the psalms. But David was also a sinner whose choices not only had grave consequences for himself, but people around him. One time, he had to deceive a priest in order to get away from an enemy. And as a result of David's deception, an entire village's worth of people was exterminated on the spot. At a later time, he slept with the wife of a man named Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah was a very experienced soldier who was loyal not only to God, but to David personally. But as a result of David's affair with Uriah's wife, the woman became pregnant and then David put Uriah into a position where his death was assured. The son that was born from that affair died later on as a punishment to David. The lives of several of David's other children were an absolute mess. One of his sons, Absalom, decided that he wanted to be king and ousted David from his position, attempted to have him killed. And it's only due to the clever help of a double agent for David that the son was able to be kicked out of the throne and David restored to power. If you were to ask David whether the thought of God looking through his life, exposing all of the dirty laundry that's there, and mind you, we have it more than 3,000 years later recorded for us the worst things about David's life, do you think that David would really want to say, I'm happy about this? What would we say if God were to confront us with that kind of knowledge about our own sin and our own lives? I doubt here that anybody really likes the idea of, one of, somebody else knowing every detail about their lives we've all done things that we're not proud of and God saw them all we've said things that in the next instant, we wish we could snatch back out of the air but it was too late for that and God knew what, was, what we were going to say before the words were on our tongues whether we actually act on the thoughts in our lives or not, God still sees them I've certainly thought things in my life that I'm not proud of and would never act on but God still knows that they're there But rather than being scared by the depth of God's knowledge of him, David takes joy in it. He's thrilled by how much he is known. God sees him in all of his sin, and he loves him anyways. Being known by God means that David has found a relationship that meets his desire that we talked about in the beginning. God sees all the crud in his life, but he still loves him. David has seen the protection of God in his life, how God has always provided for him. God wasn't forced to do this out of some kind of goodness or love, but simply because he chose to do so out of his own nature. David knows the faithful character of God, which is spelled out for us in 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So despite his sin, David loves and trusts in God enough for forgiveness to repent of his wrongdoing because we live after the coming of Christ we can take similar comforts and more besides we who are christians were rebels and wicked people who shook our fists in the face of god but when god showed when god showed us the depth of his love in his son jesus christ coming to die for our sins on the cross we are exposed to the depth of his love when god shows us how deep our sins run in our hearts we are forced to cry get away from us god for we are a sinful people We look at the sacrifice of Jesus and we say, with all the bad things I've done in my life, everything I've said and done and thought, Jesus still died to take away the punishment that I deserved. This is a cause for as much joy in our hearts as it was David's. God knows us on a deeper level than any person ever possibly could. And he invites us to take hold of the relationship that results from that knowledge. So we've seen how we can take comfort and security from God's holiness and from his knowledge. Now let's take a look at the surrounding presence of God. So we've seen how the knowledge of God can lead to the kind of relationship that we long for deep in our hearts. But what about those times when God seems to be far off, when you wanted to see him at work and you couldn't see him? The loss of a job or beloved family member? Where was God when our reputation was dragged through the mud? Was he not paying attention? Well, what about those dark spots that linger in our lives that are just too much fun? were too deeply embedded to just give up like that. So you try to hide them where no one can see. Maybe God won't bring them up if he can't see them. I remember one time when I was a little kid, I was hiding from my mom. Maybe I was angry at her or something, or maybe I was playing a game, I don't know, I was little. But I hid them under my bed, and my mom couldn't find me until I was ready to be found. Would something like that work on God? Well, David's already a step ahead of us. He asks God, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He answers his own questions by looking at the furthest apart, most separated places that he can think of. If David were to ascend up to heaven, he would find God waiting for him there. No surprise, why wouldn't God be in paradise? But on the other hand, what if David were to make his bed in the depths of the, of the grave, which is, an, which is an ancient Israelite way of thinking about the underworld, the place of the dead? But God is there too. Whether David were to rise on the wings of the dawn or go to the far side of the sea, which is to say, if he were to go east or west to the furthest points imaginable, he would find God waiting for him on either side as well. The furthest points apart on the world don't don't matter to God. Everything that happens in either place is perfectly visible to him. Even if David were just to cover himself in the deepest, deepest darkness imaginable and tell himself that he was hidden, God would see him as clearly as though it was the brightest, most sunshiny day in the world. As far as David is concerned, there is nowhere he can go to keep God away from him. But David isn't scared by the extent of God's presence. Actually, it's just amazing to him. No matter where he is, God is right there. Whatever happens, God sees David. Nothing is a surprise to God. Nothing disrupts his plans. God knows excuse me, David knows that God's hand is on him, guiding him, keeping him protected. And because David is so deeply known and always surrounded by God's presence, he's forced to cry out happily, this is too wonderful for me to understand, but praise be to God that it's the truth. So what should we do with this fact that God is always with us and knows us so thoroughly? Well, first let us see this, it is very, very easy to say, I am a Christian. And then not live or think in such a way that's pleasing to God. God is not fooled by religious words and deeds that hide an unrepentant heart. In Revelation 2 verse 23, God says that he is the one who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of us according to our deeds. If we will not look at the sin in our lives and ask God to take it out of of us, then God's knowledge and his presence will become indisputable proof against us in the final day of judgment. So instead of trying to hide our sins, God wants us to ask him to reveal them. We should ask God to show us where we have sinned so that we can repent of that sin and leave it behind. To expose the parts of our lives that we didn't even know where that we had sinned so that we can repent of those as well. Christians need to do this as well, not just unsaved people, but Christians must do this because we need to remain humble and avoid thinking that we've, since we've been purged of the sin in our lives because of Jesus, we can just go out and live as we please, or that we're saved, we're good, I'm good, I don't mess up anymore, I don't sin anymore. We need God to lead us in his way because our best efforts will still result in failure. We need him to lead us in the way everlasting, like David asked. My hope is that after reading this psalm, you're able to see that your desire to be known and to be loved is met by God. He's seen you at your best, yes, but he's also seen you at your very worst. Even though you might think that most people would hate you at your worst, God still wants you to have that intimate relationship with him that you long for, and perhaps never could even name before. We need relationships with family and our friends, but no one can take God's place. Nobody else will ever know you as thoroughly as God. Let yourself be known and start getting to know God as well. Even though we will still struggle in this messed up world of ours, there's security in knowing that God is with you. There's nowhere you can go that God will not see you. There's nothing that happens that catches him off guard. Chaos is not a word which applies to God, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Rest, knowing that even if you don't understand everything that has happened to you, or is happening to you, God will be with you, and he will bring you through it. Okay, yeah. okay. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for giving us this psalm. Thank you for seeing us, Lord, and thank you for sending your son for us, even when even though we never deserved it, and even though, left to ourselves, we'd still be shaking our fists at your face. Please bless us as we go from here. Please help us to rest in the knowledge that you are there with us and that you see us, that you'll take us through every one of our trials. Help us to rest assured that even if we don't understand, you do, and that's enough for us. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.